church should be a house of preaching. It says it's a house of prayer. And so, uh, but as we go into our prayer time, I want to do, uh, give you some things to think about when you're praying. And so maybe you'll want to jot these down in the back of your bulletin or a, a page in the back of your Bible. Just these are some quick guidelines for prayer in general, but most specifically in praying uh, powerful prayers and praying prayers that will lead to revival. Uh, and by the way, something interesting in Scripture is that there was never a revival in Scripture started by a preacher. Uh, it was always the people. And you see quite a revival taking place in Second Chronicles 29. But if you very quickly go back and study that passage, you'll notice that uh, when they got ready to offer the offerings after the temple had been cleansed, uh, that the, the priests and Levites were not ready to offer the offerings themselves because they themselves had not been cleansed. And so they had to appoint people to assist with that task. Revival starts with people, and it usually starts with people praying. Uh, if you look at the three great awakenings in history, the last of which was in the 1850s, the third great awakening, You'll, you'll find out that they're started by people who just meet to pray. And uh, Jeremiah Lanpier in New York State, and they got together to start a daily prayer meeting with a few people, and it grew and it grew and it grew, and it turned out that uh, it led to uh, at what at that time was close to a, a nationwide uh, revival. So we need, we need that kind of thing today. And so what we're going to look at just for a few minutes is some characteristics of powerful prayer or prayer for revival. And I hope you'll jot these down. And we're going to look first at Psalm 24. So let me read this to you, one of my favorite psalms. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands... And a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And let me, let me read that part again, because he's saying, who can worship the Lord acceptably? And he says, he that hath clean hands, and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So I want to talk just a few few ways, just a few quick notes, a lot fewer slides than I normally have, so jot these down. The first thing that we pray is we're to seek God in purity and holiness. Um, you really can't uh, expect God to hear your prayers unless you first of all get things right with Him. That you're willing to confess your sins and you're also willing uh, to forsake your sins. Um, there, there's a verse that says that... Uh, he who confesses and forsakes his sin shall have mercy. 
And to confess just means to bring it out in the, the open uh, as though it were hidden inside your cloak. And you pull it out and you expose it to the light. And the, to forsake means that you let go and you don't pick that up again. In other words, it's not you're asking God to forgive you of a sin that you know good and well by 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon you'll be back doing the same thing again. Uh, this is something you're confessing and then you're, you're forsaking it so that, you know, that I'm not going back to this behavior anymore. I'm giving this up. And, and it's very hard to give up a behavior that you don't first confess if you don't first bring to the light. Uh, a few years ago, I was preaching in Indianapolis to a group of about 600 dads. And right before I got up to speak, uh, there was uh, a speaker who had talked about uh, the sin of pornography. And uh, 47 or 48 men came forward uh, during that service and confessed to the group of 600 men that they'd been struggling with this problem. And they made a public confession of it because when we confess, uh, it takes away the strength of sin. See, the strength of sin is in its secrecy. If we have a sin and we keep it secret, then it holds on to us. It grips on to us and we keep going back to it again and again and again. But if we make a confession to our brothers in Christ... Uh, if we make a confession to an accountability partner, if we make a confession to our church about this sin and then say, I'm, I'm confessing it not only to the Lord, but because I don't want this to have any hold on me, I want somebody else to hold me accountable, and then we forsake it, then it no longer has that grip over us. Um, so we have to forsake our evil ways. Isaiah says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake, that is, Drop it. Let it go. Don't go back to it. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now, we have to remember, too, when we're, it's, it's one thing to have clean hands, but we also need a pure heart. Uh, so it, it's, it's one thing to have clean hands and clean actions, but what does it matter if we're, we're righteous and, and holy looking on the outside, but we're going around being unrighteous on the inside? Because God sees our thoughts. That's why it says the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Uh, I don't know how often you do this, but I can tell you that I regularly throw myself upon the mercy of God. Uh, I like to keep clean accounts with the Lord. And I can't tell you how many things he's forgiven me of and how often he forgives me and and I pray that I can, like him, be forgiving to those who hurt me. Well, he's, we're to have clean and righteous way. We're to have pure hearts. We have to have right thoughts so that right words come out of our mouth when we speak. Uh, we want to leave behind anything that could hinder our prayers. Uh, I don't want to ever be in the place uh, that I feel like I pray and, and nothing will come of it. I want to know that when I pray, the Lord hears me. Uh, but the Bible says, I think it's Psalm 66 and 18, that says the Lord, will, will, the Lord basically doesn't hear the prayers if we regard iniquity in our heart. He doesn't hear us. And so that's so very important for us. So forsaking our evil ways, that's part of purity and holiness. Another thing that uh, it's not enough to just forsake our ways, we have to follow his ways. That's part of walking in purity and holiness too. Uh, Isaiah 35, and an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. 
We need to walk in the highway of holiness. There's, God has righteous ways and holy ways, and we have to spend time in his word to know what those ways are. What's the way to have a successful marriage according to scripture? What's the way to be a good parent according to scripture? What's the way to be a good employee according to scripture? What's the way to best manage your money according to the principles of scripture? How do we walk in right ways? Well, we walk in right ways by spending time in his word, and we need to have our heart bent toward God. Now, all of our hearts have a certain bent, uh, and our minds have certain bents too. Uh, uh, Steve is really good at history, and I really enjoyed the the refresher on on John Brown and and uh, this morning because I uh, I remember the, about the abolitionist movement, and and uh, I've taken some Civil War tours where I got a lot of information that I didn't get other places. And I I wonder if you know Vicksburg's even going to be there 20 years from now. The way we're throwing down monuments to our past and erasing our history. Um, I, I was never that enthused about history in school. I was enthused by math and science and, and things that, you know, kind of related to an engineer. But now that I'm a part of history, I'm much more interested in it. Um, and I, 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 I really enjoy it more. But, we, you know, we have natural bents towards certain things. Uh, and if you're a parent, you will discover that each of your kids will have a different natural bent towards something. Uh, but we, we need to be bent in our hearts toward God. That it means that we, we're inclined to follow his ways because we love him. We walk in obedience. We surrender his will. We don't look back to our old ways and say, I wish I could go back to my old life. It was so much easier then. Because listen, being a Christian isn't easy. Uh, we'd like to tell people, oh, if you ask Jesus in your heart, everything will be rosy after that. Well, that's just not true. That would be false advertising if we were to say that. But we don't want to go back to our old ways. Holiness is a requirement for us to see God in our life. And you'll notice the front of your bulletin, if you look at that picture and what it says on the front of your bulletin, it kind of goes to this last point, and that is that when you pray, God may just ask you to do something. You're praying about a situation. You're praying about uh, something that maybe your church needs or something that your country needs or something that a family member needs. And be prepared for the fact that God may ask you to be a part of the solution. And so we need to realize that if we're to follow his ways and he asks us to be a part of the solution, uh, then we, we need to do just that. And then this is something we don't think about a lot, but we need to be fixated on the beauty of God or the beauty of his holiness. Uh, the psalmist said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I don't know what you think about when you think about God. I often think about the fact that he's holy and that he's righteous. And I know that because he loves me as my heavenly father, he may chasten me or chastise me when I get out of line. And so I live in a little bit of fear of that all the time that I don't want to be under the chastisement of God. And I really loved, Brother Steve, I'm going to have to need your help here with that saying that you, what was the saying about being under the spout for the blessing? Yeah, stay under the spout where the blessing comes out. That was, that was uh, what we used to call in seminary, we called that a zinger, one of those short, memorable phrases that sticks with you. Obviously, it didn't stick with me long enough, but I'll remember it now. And, and we need to be, learn how to stay under the spout where the blessing comes out. I really enjoyed that this morning. So, uh, but our focus, you know, really needs to be on the beauty of God himself. Um, I don't know how long some of you married folks have been married. Uh, 
And, uh, of course, pastors got us all beat, right? Uh, but Judy and I, in September, celebrated our 40th anniversary. And after 40 years, uh, when I wake up in the morning and I look over at her, or if we're sitting you know, in the car together and we're talking or we're going somewhere together, I still think she's gorgeous. Uh, she's beautiful to me. And to me, she gets more beautiful every year. Um, and and you, you wouldn't think that because when you're when you're young, you think, oh well, everybody when you get old, they you know don't look as good as they do when they're young. I just I just think Judy gets more beautiful all the time, and I'm I'm astounded at her. I'm I'm amazed at her, and uh, that's that's because not only do we we have the the chemistry between us, but now we have 40 years of shared experience together, and that makes you more attractive to one another if you have a close relationship. Well, we ought to be that way with God. The more time we spend with God and the more shared experience we have with God, the more beautiful He should become to us. We should learn to look at God as being beautiful, that it's the thing we should desire the most in life is a relationship with Him. And it shouldn't be on the materialism. It's so easy to get out caught up in stuff. And, and uh, quite frankly, the more stuff you own, the more it's going to own you. Trust me when I say that. Uh, my brother told me one time, uh, he said, it's much better to know somebody that owns a boat than to own one yourself. And he spent all of his time fixing two boats for a lot of years. And I think he finally got rid of at least one, if not both of his boats, because he got tired of maintaining them. It's just better to not own the stuff, because then it owns you. Learn to live without quite so much stuff. And that's one of the goals of my life, is to weed through the stuff so that when I pass on, my kids don't have to spend months trying to weed through the stuff uh, after I'm gone. We need to dispose of those things. Don't have earthly idols. You know, don't live your life trying to get something for the here and now, uh, because it uh, may not be a blessing to you later. Uh, we were visiting... Uh, yesterday with the Townsends, and they have a very beautiful place to live. And uh, but Tim Townsend had another minor stroke last week, and uh, his hand, the use of his left hand is still really good. It's improved since I saw him last. But uh, his uh, reasoning, his thinking, his ability to uh, have a conversation, his walking, his gait has all taken a few steps back, and it's very frustrating when you're trying to help a husband recover from a stroke that you take a few steps back and and he can't really help to the degree he used to help around the house and so you know his wife is and and son are doing most of the lawn mowing now but you know they're wondering now how long we'll be able to stay in this beautiful place that we bought that was such a blessing because how long will she be able to to do the care and upkeep of all that if he's not ever able to help again. You know, things that we, we work really hard for and we make it a big priority, sometimes later we find out our blessing's not as much of a blessing. Things will change, circumstances will change, the economy will change, uh, the world is constantly changing. As Brother Dennis said earlier, it's getting kind of crazy out there. But the one thing you can hold on to is the, the beauty of God. Because he never changes. And that's why he says very plainly in the word, I am and I change not. Thank God for that. I'm glad there's something that doesn't change. I wish, I wish my hair had been that way. All right. The church is supposed to be a house of prayer. And we need to pray for some certain things. So here's kind of a list. Jot down this list. And when we invite you up to pray, I hope some of these things will be on, on your lips before the Lord's throne. 
One is to pray for the church to be strong. Listen to this prayer in Isaiah 62. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He's saying, hey, if you're praying to God, one of the things you need to pray is for the peace of Jerusalem. You need to pray for Jerusalem to be a stronghold. You need to pray for the protection of Jerusalem. And for us as Christians, these are the kind of prayers we need to pray for our church, that God would protect it from the wrong influences on the outside, that he would strengthen it, he would establish it, that he would grow it. And we've kind of recently taken a little, uh, few steps backward, kind of like I talked about a while ago, because of the coronavirus and some families uh, left because they found places closer to home that they could worship. And so we've taken a few steps backward, and yet I, I see kids here, and I love that. And I think that we can grow again. We had far less people than this when we had a special season of prayer for the church back when the Thorntons had a horrific traffic accident. And I invited people to come up and ask God to send us 10 new families. And God sent us something like 19 new families instead. God loves to answer more than we ask him for. And I think he can do that again. And we just have to pray. So we need to continue in prayer in the church. We're to continue in prayer for each member to walk in their calling. And to fit the place that God has for him or her. And the world takes notice when they see God at work. When they see him doing something. Um, you know, and I, I'm pleased even with all the changes recently uh, that God has seen fit to bless us financially as a church where we're going to be able to continue the $350.94, a very specific amount that we send the Manvilles every month. And I'm glad to hear that they're able to use some of that to help others too. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed them to not only have what they need but to be able to help others when the time comes. We also need to pray with one spirit. Um, Paul told Timothy, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now Jews you know, used to pray like this all the time. I wonder sometimes if we shouldn't do this too. And it's not because they were charismatic or because they're trying to show off or trying to gain attention. They held their hands up because they thought when they prayed that God would fill their life with the blessing. It was kind of like saying, okay, I'm asking for a blessing and, and I'm ready to catch it right here. I'm, I'm ready to get it. I'm, I'm, under this, I'm under the spout where the blessing pours out. Just open the spout. Here I am. Um, and his point here is not so much about the lifting of hands, but that we have holy hands. And his point is that we should pray everywhere, uh, wherever we are, and prayer ought to be part of our habit. And he says, without wrath and doubting. Now here's the thing. That means you can't have hurt feelings towards somebody. You can't harbor bitterness towards somebody. You can't be angry towards someone. And when you pray, you have to pray and you need to believe God for big things. You need to believe God's capable of miracles. But when you pray, don't pray doubting. Don't pray like, I'm praying for this, but I don't think you're going to answer it. Well, I let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, James says. Uh, pray without doubting. So, without doubting, because a double-minded man is completely unstable in all his ways. He's like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind, tossed to and fro. Um, we're to lift up holy hands, because if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. And that is Psalm 66, 18. So, when we pray together in a church, one of the things that's important is that we have unity between us. And I, I, think, I think our church is pretty blessed here, that... 
in general, as far as I know, we're in agreement with one another, which is why when two or three are gathered together in Christ's name and they're in agreement with another and they agree on anything that they should ask together, then the Lord wants to do it. The Lord will, will do those things for us. If we're all seeking God's will and we're all praying for God's will, then we're opening up, we're, we're opening up the spout where the blessing pours out. I'm going to get some mileage out of this, Brother, brother Steve. Uh, so the thing is, we need to be in unity. If uh, I, there was a church a number of years ago in Wisconsin, and uh, they invited a, a revival preacher to come in and preach a revival. That's what most people think revivals is. We have a special preacher comes in and preaches a revival, and everybody gets on fire for the Lord. If we just invite the right preacher, and then if if we if the revival preacher leaves and there's no revival, then it was the preacher's fault, right? Uh, well, this preacher was, was a pretty smart guy, and what he noticed is that every meeting, the same family sat on the same side of the auditorium. Now, I'm not pointing at you. Some of us, we get our, our name carved in a pew, and we want to stay there. That's fine. But he also noticed that the people on this side of the auditorium never talked to the people on this side of the auditorium. And he finally found out that there had been an argument between a couple people and everybody picked up sides and everybody was sitting on different sides, not because they just like sitting in the same place every Sunday or every revival night, but he, they were sitting on different sides because they didn't want anything to do with the other side. And he pointed this out and, and he called them to task for it. And one side of the church got right with the other and there was a genuine revival. Uh, that made the news because of uh, the changes that it wrought in the community. We need to have holy hands and we need to have unity in order to have Christ's director's prayers. We have to be in one with God. We also have to be at one with each other. Now, another thing we need to pray for in the context of church is pray for the church leaders. Pray for uh, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews. Now, I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews because it, if you do read Greek, you notice that uh, Greek and Hebrews is a... a a notch or two scholarly-wise above what Paul normally writes, although he himself was a scholar. But, but the writer of Hebrews says this, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. And if you go on and read the context of Hebrews 13, it's talking about your church leaders. And it even says, Obey them that have rule over you, for they must give an account for your souls. So one day, pastors are going to be called to account. Did you faithfully minister to your flock? Did you give them the truth? Did you pray for them? Were you there when they, when they needed you? Did you live to benefit them rather than to take from them? And that's what God's going to hold pastors accountable to. But in the context of that, he's saying, pray for us. We need the prayers. So the best thing you can do for your pastors and elders is pray for them. You disagree with your pastor? Pray for him and then have the courtesy to go talk to him in person rather than talk behind his back or, or meet with other people and discuss what you think the problems are. That's not the Christian way to solve things. But start by praying for them because they bear a heavy responsibility and God's going to hold them accountable for how well they shepherded your souls. And they have to give that account and it's difficult work emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally. I read a... I read a uh, a study that they did on pastors a number of years ago. It's been about 30 years, uh, probably like 40 years ago, but I don't know that it's changed much. But they did a study and found out that uh, one hour of preaching uh, had the same effect physiologically on the body as eight hours of ditch digging. And a very wise seminary professor told me, he says, don't ever tell that to the ditch diggers. 
You know, <laughs> but the point is, it's exhausting. And it's amazing how, I, you know, when I, I go home from preaching on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I'm kind of toast. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's an exhausting thing. Uh, it's, it's a rewarding thing. I, I don't have anything I enjoy more than preaching in my life. It's the most important thing I get to do uh, is to communicate the Word of God, whether it's to my own family or to, to you, and I appreciate your kind attention when we're doing that. But it, it is kind of exhausting. And also, it, it can be discouraging at times, particularly when you've preached your heart out and then you don't see a response and you, and you go home wondering, was that me? And most pastors always resign on Mondays. They, they preach their heart out on Sunday and then nothing happened on Monday. They say, oh, I'm ready to quit. And some pastors quit every Monday and, you know, go back to work about Wednesday and, and go after it again. But it, it can be discouraging, especially when, you know, you've got the coronavirus and people that you love and you get to know and, and they're not here anymore. And they leave and it's just kind of discouraging. And, and then you face satanic opposition. If you're really trying to serve the Lord, uh, the devil is going to be against you. He's going to bring you afflictions and trials and things to hinder you that you weren't ever expected for. So pray for your church leaders. And then we need to pray for revival throughout the church. Psalm 81, the psalmist said, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. We need to ask God to fill our mouths with the the word. And, And what happens when we get genuinely revived? Well, one of the things we should do is talk about the wondrous things God's done for us. Uh, I think it would be, maybe, maybe it's time, Pastor, that we have a, a, a testimonial service again. Uh, because, and, and you know what bugs me about testimonial services in a lot of churches, and if you do this, I'm not going to be mad with you, I'm not going to be upset with you, but a lot of testimony services in Baptist churches where people talk about what God, how God brought them to a relationship with Jesus Christ 20 years ago. Now, I love hearing those stories. I'm wonderful about those stories, and it's great. And I've heard some doozies lately. I, we had a friend, Paul Hastings, um, and I'll, I'll send out an email link. He has a podcast, and you really should listen to his podcast. And uh, Paul interviews uh, people that have genuinely come to a relationship in Jesus Christ and have a, a kind of a dramatic testimony. And so one of the first interviews he had was with a lady uh, that thought she was a Christian. She went to church every day, but she ran three abortion clinics. And uh, this uh, every day uh, she would get up and pray that none of the women coming to her abortion clinics would have problems or they would die that day and that they'd be able to help these people as they gave them their abortions. And she would pray for them and she went to church and she participated and she gave to her local church and she did this for years. And during the several years that she was there, she was responsible for the deaths of about 50,000 babies. And then she got into an argument with her partner in the abortion clinic. And it was, it was uh, it, uh, lawsuits were mentioned. They were thinking about suing one another, but they decided to go into arbitration first. And so they called an arbitration company and says, you know, we got this problem. We'd like to resolve it out of court. Uh, we would like to hire you to come and do arbitration between us to settle this issue. Interestingly enough, the arbitrator they sent out, uh, his uh, being an arbitrator was kind of his full-time job, but his other job was he was a pastor. And he came out there and he actually, through his work and through his testimony, he won this lady to the Lord and she instantly left the abortion business. And for the last umpteen years now, she's been participating in trials and giving her testimony anytime she had an opportunity to 
close abortion clinics or to shut down the abortion industry or anything to do. She has a marvelous testimony now. I, 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 it's, I love hearing stories like that. And I like the fact that she is actively doing something for the Lord's work now. And now she knows she wasn't a Christian before. She was religious, but she wasn't a Christian. There's a big difference. But you know what I... What I really like to hear is not people tell me how they came to know Jesus, but what is Jesus doing for them now? Is Jesus a big part of your life now? Is he working miracles in your life now? Is he guiding you now? Is he motivating you now? Is he calling you now? What is he doing now? And that would be a good question for us to all ask ourselves. Is God doing anything in my life now? And if not, I need revival. I need revival. He desires to show himself strong in our behalf. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16, it says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect or, or right toward him. God's just looking for people that he can bless in a great way, but he's got to find people who have a pure heart toward him. We have to forsake competing affections. Uh, you know, one of the things that happens when you get married is that if you had past girlfriends, you've got you to gotta not uh, foster those relationships anymore. You had old boyfriends, you don't, you don't call them anymore and write them because you've, you've married somebody, you've given your heart and your soul and your body to them and, and that's where your focus is and those old relationships that could distract you from your current relationship, that can't be part of your life anymore. And in the same way, God wants us to not have any competing affections. We need to forsake them. And we need to ask him to fill our mouth with praises. Here's a good definition of revival, by the way, if you're wondering what that is. Revival is a freshening of our spirit. By the way, how many of you, without me even reading the rest of the definition, and I'll raise my hand first, how many of you feel like you need your spirit refreshed? I do. Revival is a freshening of our spirit by the Spirit of God, so that in fullness of joy... We boldly proclaim both by word and deed the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. We really have revival. We start sharing Jesus with people and we do it with joyfulness. Now, we're not only to pray throughout the church, we're to pray throughout the world. Paul told the Colossians, with all praying also for us, Paul again is asking for prayers, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in bonds. So, he says that I want the door to be open to share the gospel everywhere. We want the doors to be open in Nigeria. We want the doors to be open in, in the Philippines where Brother Kakalala ministers. We want the doors to be open in Jordan where Sam Jordan is our, our missionary that we support. But, but prayer is absolutely essential if we're to hit the streets with the gospel. Uh, within about a mile and a half of the church, uh, there's apparently a new housing community coming up. And, you know, maybe we need to blanket that with... Uh, you know, hangers and invite people to church, but maybe it's a good place to go share the gospel. We need to be hitting the streets, but we can't do that without praying or we're going to waste our time and our efforts and it'll be fruitless. We have to ask God to prepare the way. And, and this is the big thing. It's why it's the title of the sermon. Prayer really prepares the way for God to do something. Uh, God has chosen to work through prayer. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament where the, uh, the Israelites were about battling the, the Amalekites? And uh, as long as Moses would stand and hold his arms up and he'd pray, Israel was winning the battle. But Moses got tired because it's hard to do all that praying and with your arms up 
just by yourself. And, of course, he was probably Baptist, so he had weak upper arm strength because we don't do this much, okay? And, and so he quit praying for a minute. And then all of a sudden the battle would go against the Israelites. And finally uh, Aaron gets on one side and Hur gets on the other. And they hold his hands up and they all three pray together. And they won the battle. Now, the fact of the matter is, God could have just given the battle to the Israelites, but God chose to work in response to their prayers to show us that God wants us to pray to see His work become evident. How are we ever going to see God work in power? We have to pray. We have to pray. Psalm 2.8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That would include Nigeria, wouldn't it? Uh, and some of the other places that I, I mentioned. So we need to pray for revival throughout the world. Isaiah 40 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. And by the way, this is a, a passage that is used later to, to point to John the Baptist and how he prepared the way for the Messiah. He says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. And what they're saying is the, the valleys are going to come up, the mountains are going to go down, so there's a straight vision that everybody can clearly see the way to God. And he says, And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He says, you know, prayer is going to make it where you can see God, you can see where He is, and you point people clearly uh, in the direction that they need to go. So, like John the Baptist, we need to make way for Jesus, and we need to ask God to prepare hearts to hear the gospel, and we need to ask God to prepare us to share. It's scary sharing Jesus, and yet, if you do share Jesus with somebody and they reject you, you still have obeyed God, and you still get the blessing from the Lord. So there's really no reason not to do it. There's really no reason not to do it. We have to decrease so that He can increase uh, in our life. So we need to just make a, a way for Jesus. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I'm going to let the pastor kind of come and, and talk to us on the microphone here and tell us how he wants to do it. But as he's making his way up here, one of the things I want us to focus on is we want to pray specifically for the manvils uh, that God will continue to uh, reach out. I was encouraged to hear all that we heard today because you know, it's not just Mike uh, doing translation and exegesis that's making the difference. It's, it's Diane and Johanna reaching out to help people that are hurting and in need around them. And, you know, there's an old poem by Edgar Guest called, I'd Rather See a Sermon Than Hear One Any Day. And uh, I think it's, it's when we do things like that, we give the world the credentials because they see our kindness and they see our love and they see our concern and people don't know how much you, they don't, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's, that's very true. Uh, and then also, uh, we'll talk more about this in the announcements in a few minutes, but, but uh, we got a, some significant stuff going on in the United States. We need to pray for our country. Uh, tomorrow's the day that uh, the Senate will vote on J Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, from what I can see, she's an amazing person, an amazing woman. I'd love to have her Supreme Court justice. 
And you know, I'm just so worried that something could derail that process, and we don't need it derailed. We need, we need uh, men and women of integrity on the U.S. Supreme Court because they sit there for the rest of their lifetime. And you know, what happens tomorrow could change the Supreme Court for the next 40 to 50 years. It's a big deal. Uh, but we need to pray that decisions made right. And then we need to pray for the election. Uh, I cannot remember an election in my lifetime that I was almost less enthused about than this one in terms of the, the characters of the people that are involved. Uh, and yet there are two very different agendas, one of which I think is going to lead to the destruction of the United States. So we need to be praying as Christians, say, what does God want me to do? How does he want me to vote? We need to use that privilege. But we need to be praying for the election. Uh, Romans 13 tells us that God sets up one and puts down another. It's, it's, it's he who will determine uh, who our next president is. But he, I think he responds in large part to our prayers. So, Pastor, if you'll come and, and share with us how you'd like to do this, and, and we will follow your lead here. Well, I would just like for Diane and Johanna to come up here. And uh, the rest of us would like to come and surround them and uh, uh, join hands in prayer uh, for the things that Brother Robert has mentioned and uh, pray that God will uh, just work mightily. And uh, the other family members can come up here as well. And uh, it's great to have family that supports us. And I know it's a blessing for them to know while they're on the field that their children and grandchildren back here are still faithfully serving.